We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. If by chance you're new here, I'm Max Doris, and I'm the publisher of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of the pod, whether you're joining us over on Apple Podcasts, over on Spotify, or here on YouTube live at Oregon Football Max Taurus. However you're joining us, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to talk some ducks. If you guys are here on the live, uh, please feel free to hop into the live chat and throw some questions and comments our way. Uh, this is for you guys, the fans, and we always like to see kind of what's on your mind and, and what you want to talk about so we can better, uh, you know, cater the show to, to your guys' you know, needs and uh, what you want to talk about. So definitely hop in there. And then if you're watching on the replay, thanks for stopping by and, and let us know what you think are Oregon football's biggest strengths and biggest weaknesses as we stand here in February, early February, coming at you live from Eugene. But joining me on this episode of the pod is Ducks Digest reporter Dylan Rubin King. How we doing, Rube? Man, it's been a hectic day, man, but uh, I'm happy to be here, happy to talk some Ducks and uh, happy to talk kind of you know, big picture stuff. I think it's important to kind of get into that now that the roster kind of seems like it's settling in a little bit. It does feel like the roster is a, a little bit more solid and we have a bit, bit better feel of kind of, uh, you know, what the Ducks are going to be working with uh, when spring ball comes around. Uh, we don't have too concrete of a schedule as it stands right now. Uh, Dan Lanning announcing that the spring game will be on April 23rd at 1 p.m., I believe. Uh, at Autzen Stadium, but April 23rd is the date that Duck fans should be circling on their calendar, and then we'll obviously keep you guys updated once, uh, you know, Oregon football lets us know uh, kind of some of the dates um, and schedule around spring football. So Dylan made a great point that I just wanted to talk about before we you know, really dive into this. This is like a massive question, you know, strengths and weaknesses, um, and I think, you know, just in the one hour that we're planning to go today, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we can get to, but inevitably there's probably going to be some things that we miss right so um you know kind of take things with a grain of salt i guess is a good way to put it um and realize that this is kind of a you know every evolving question as the ducks could still um you know make some other additions uh on the recruiting trail even though we're past the traditional signing day and in the transfer portal i know one big guy that we gotta have our eyes on uh you know for oregon is 2022 athlete arliss boardingham out of birmingham high school in van nuys california he is announcing his decision on Wednesday. 
Um, let me see if I can find the details. I was absolutely rolling on that. And then I forgot what time he's going to be announcing. So um, just just uh, hang in with me here. He's going to be announcing at 3.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time on Wednesday. And that's also going to be on CBS Sports HQ. We'll have you guys covered for that commitment over on Ducks Digest and on our platforms on Twitter specifically, you got guys got to lock in there so you uh, don't miss out on any of our latest updates. I'm at mTOR Sports, Dylan over there at DRK Sports News. Dylan, so let's kind of break this down. You know, I think my plan for this is we can kind of start off with with the strengths, and then um, you know, in the latter half, maybe we'll talk about some of the weaknesses. Um, and then as you guys have questions, you know, as we're talking about a particular group or a player, definitely throw those our way, and we'll try to answer them as they come. Um, and we'll kind of just go from there. So, uh, Dylan, as, as we sit here in early February, I mean, what are your kind of, you know, overarching thoughts on Oregon's roster? And, and maybe we can kind of get into uh, some of the strengths here to start off. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's still a lot of talent on this roster. Um, you know, I wrote in one of my stories about some of the top offensive additions that I think can be an immediate impact. I talked about how from the outside looking in, what I've seen a lot of people talk about is like, it's a new coaching staff. They don't have Kayvon. They don't have Mikhail Wright, Devin Williams. Like there are a lot of pieces that are moving within this program. And it might seem like they're kind of revamping, maybe reloading even. Um, and some people I think have been under the impression that, um, you know, maybe it's a, um, you know, kind of a rebuild, I guess, which I, I don't think you can say it is, but there's still a ton of talent on this team. And I think one of the strengths is the offensive line. If I had to put a number one, I'd say it's offensive line, just because you're getting back that pretty much that entire offensive line rotation minus George Moore, um, who ran out of eligibility. It seemed like he was eligible forever. Um, but there's, there's so much veteran leadership and, um, you know, still some young guys that if, you know, something were to happen, you'd be comfortable putting some of those guys out there, um, you know, with the experience that they've got now. So a ton of, a ton of talent, a ton of, in my opinion, future NFL draft picks. I, I think Malisala Amave Laulu probably would have been a, a draft pick, maybe day three pick, um, you know, if he had actually stayed in the draft. And having him come back to prove himself one more time is really cool. I think Alex Forsyth will prove himself again, um, as long as he can stay healthy, um, as one of the best centers in college football. Um, and I think the depth is a, is a really strong thing too, because you add Michael Wooten to the mix, you add... Um, Dave Uly to the mix. So, you know, like I said, if, if there's injuries or if there's um, anything else going on, I feel really confident with the bodies they've got up front. And of course that paves the way for, you know, the passing game and the run game, like just having that offensive line set really is just kind of the foundation for a successful offense. Yeah. I, I like the the pieces that they have in place right now on the offensive line with, with George Moore being the only guy that you have to, uh, you know, replace. That's definitely, that's definitely a good uh, situation to find yourself in. You know, if you're Adrian Clem and you're kind of sitting down uh, and kind of looking at what you have to work with, uh, I think, like you said, the depth is definitely is definitely there, and and so is the versatility. Um, I think that uh, that's you know in large part thanks to uh, Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal and the former offensive line staff. That was something that they really preached, and and I'd be surprised if that wasn't you know uh, one of their messages under Adrian Clem as well, just wanting to have that versatility. Um, I think having a guy that you bring in from the NFL level is, is definitely going to be uh, a good plus. And, um, you know, Alex Mirabal was a phenomenal coach. So 
Um, you know, the, the, the bar has definitely been set for, you know, successful offensive line play. But to talk about my point earlier, Dylan, uh, versatility, I think looking at, you know, who's going to maybe fill in for that left tackle spot. Do we see TJ Bass slide out to play tackle as he did for much of the latter half of the season or kind of that final stretch? Um, or do we see uh, Dawson Jeremillo uh, slide into a more significant role? I mean, he was kind of a, a, a do-it-all guy, you know, wherever you needed to put him, guard, tackle, he was getting it done and he was he's very fast. I like his footwork. Um, and then, you know, Steven Jones, do we see him take a, you know, a more significant role? Um, and, and I really think that with, with Forsyth coming back, that's just so, so invaluable. I mean, obviously you need to have a successful offensive line or a, a good offensive line to really have any, you know, chance on offense. I think that's one of the biggest things that, uh, you know, most people would, would know at this point, if you don't have a good, you know, offensive line, you can't do a whole lot, but having an experienced center and really one that I, I think you could probably make a legitimate argument would be a guy that's probably going to be in that conversation for the Remington uh, award for the nation's best center. I think that's going to be a huge help to whoever ends up winning that starting quarterback job, whether it be Bo Nix, Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, that's going to be huge uh, working with a center who, who knows the game and who has worked with a lot of those guys on, on either side of him. Um, but I also like the, the pieces that they've added uh, through this 2022 class, um, you know, with, with Yuli being one of the biggest guys that they were able to get back on board on signing day. And you talked about versatility. I think a couple guys to keep in mind is Ryan Walk. He's coming back as well. Um, I feel like he could be a candidate to fill in kind of on the inside. You have Forsyth pretty much set at center. He could be a guy that fills in at left or right guard. Um, and then Jackson Powers Johnson is kind of a wild card now, just because, you know, we've heard this talk about him playing along the defensive line in spring camp. Um, nothing for certain about what his role along the offensive line will be. If he's converting, if he's just kind of splitting time, we don't really know yet. Um, but it'll be interesting to see where they put him along the offensive line because they they put him at center and, um, you know, on the inside, I believe, as well last year. And, you know, he produced, especially when he was at center. Like, that's not an easy, um, you know, it, it, he didn't, there wasn't a drop-off when Forsyth was out and Jackson Powers Johnson came in. Um, you know, he, he looked like a polished veteran out there. Um, so I, I think that whoever they put is going to be solid. I really like the versatility with Ryan and walk specifically. Cause I mean, he was just one of those glue guys that no matter where you need him, he's going to be there. Um, you know, I remember that Cal game where we weren't sure Forsyth was going to start. That was still kind of, he was in the middle of the back spasm, um, you know, battles that he was going through and then walk stepped in and he was just lights out in that game. Um, against a, a pretty solid California front. So, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, you want to see him out there as, as a starter, but, you know, there's so many there's so many guys that have experience up front that no matter what role he's going to get, whether it's first off the bench or in the starting lineup, no matter where, um, he's going to contribute. And I feel like there's a lot of guys, like you said, thanks to Cristobal and Mirabal that, you know, have been cross-trained and can move inside and out and, you know, pull and drag and do all the little things um, that offensive linemen need to be able to do. It could be argued that walk was the most valuable offensive lineman of the the bunch last year. I mean, I, I don't think that's even really a, a hot take or, or a stretch by any means. I mean, anytime you can have a guy that can slide over that easily uh, and, and just, you know, pick up right where Forsyth left off uh, offensive line, not really missing a beat. I think that's incredibly valuable. And then another point, that I think is worth discussing is there's a lot of guys on this roster that we really haven't seen much of yet. You know, I feel like all throughout uh, fall camp and the whole season, 
more so in fall camp, I think the conversation was kind of geared towards, you know, who are some of those other guys, you know, uh, behind the the starters that are really kind of making some noise. And, you know, we heard about Kingsley Suomataya before he transferred to BYU. We heard about Logan Sagapolu before he transferred to Miami to follow Cristobal and Mirabal. But there's still a lot of talented guys here that we just haven't seen yet, Dylan. Uh, you know, guys that come to mind are, are Jalen Jeffers, uh, one of two Arizona uh, offensive linemen, you know, alongside with Bram Walden. Jalen Jeffers, when I was covering him as a recruit, I was asking him about kind of some of the other sports that he plays or what else he does. And he plays rug- played rugby in the offseason. So just the kind of athletes that they have on this offensive line that that are still at um, you know, their disposal, that are still really green and, and young, that haven't seen a ton of time, I think, is, is something to be excited about. And then another guy that um, I think it could be kind of a – I don't know if a dark horse is the right word, but you know, someone that could maybe fill in for that left tackle spot would, would maybe be Faope Laulu. Or maybe you move Sala over to the left side, and then because he's more experienced, and then maybe you shift uh, Faope over to uh, you know the right tackle because that is just a massive human being, probably one of the biggest guys on the team. I'm looking at the 2021 roster, and he's listed at six six three sixty. So probably not playing weight would be my uh, educated guess. I'm not an offensive lineman or an offensive line coach, but I think just with that's probably one of the biggest strengths and just positives from a coaching standpoint. If you're looking at, you know, your roster and what you have, uh, you know, to, to work with in, in year one, especially Kenny Dillingham, you know, you, you look at the, what has been, you know, um, prioritized with some of these guys. And it's obviously, you know, the technique, the fundamentals, having guys that can bend and can move. And I, I mean, it, it really sets up the offense for success. So maybe that's kind of the, one of the last things that I had to say about the uh, offensive line. Yeah, I think one of the other guys that I felt like we might see towards the end of the year was Marcus Harper, just because mm-hmm. when um, you weren't sure with Alex Forsyth, he was kind of warming up out there at a couple different spots. I know I remember seeing Marcus Harper line up um, in pre-war- pre-game warm-ups at center, seeing him a little bit at, at guard. Um, and I know he played guard in high school coming out of Illinois, was one of the top guards in the country. So, um, you know, I feel like that guard spot is is a place where I could see maybe some uh, flexibility. So I feel like Marcus Harper is one of those guys that's been with the team and, um, you know, a couple of years now. I know he hasn't really played, but um, being with the program, I, I think he's got a leg up a little bit. Um, yeah, I definitely agree about Fayope. I mean, his size, you, you can't, you know, you can't really beat that. Now, of course, it's probably you might have to cut down on, you know, getting some bulk and um, cutting down on some of the unhealthy weight. But. I mean, I, I don't think there was much of it. I, I saw him in, in warmups and stuff, and the guy's massive. And um, you know, I feel like they could contribute if, if given the chance. Jeffers was a guy I really wanted to see. Um, Jonah Miller was another one I feel like um, was kind of underrated, under the radar at 6'7 at his height. Um, kind of versatile as well. I feel like he's a guy who could find a role for himself. A little light, though. Um, he's listed at 260, which from my eyes, it looks like he's the lightest offensive lineman on the roster. So definitely bulking up will be one of his priorities. Um, but at six seven, that's that's definitely uh, nice to have. But at the same time, you know, there's I don't think you're going to see too many guys play, kind of like we've seen the last couple years, just because you have so much experience coming back again. You know, I don't know if you'll see other guys kind of get moved in unless there's injuries, just because of how, especially early, how tough the schedule is against Georgia and BYU. Um, you know, in the two out of the first three games, you know, that's not really time to play around, I don't think. And e- even Eastern Washington, I'd say, probably is not a, a gimme game. 
Um, so I, I would expect that you'll probably stick to the same, you know, six, seven men rotation up front for the most part. Um, but it, it'd be interesting to see how, you know, maybe that's just me being used to Mario Cristobal and, and Mirabal and their rotations. Maybe, you know, Dan Lanning and Adrian Clem and Kenny Dillingham will have a different philosophy. So that's, you know, worth noting as well. On Jonah Miller, I feel like when I saw him most of the year, whether it be, you know, at practice or, you know, at post-game pressers and stuff, I don't think he dressed for a majority of the season. And he did look like yeah. he had a pretty slight frame for an offensive lineman. So yeah, um, probably a guy that you kind of have to, to get back up to speed a little bit more there in that in that regard. But a name to watch nonetheless. Uh, did have a, uh, a comment here that we wanted to get to as we kind of uh, – we're going to bounce back and forth between offense and defense. So we'll try to – keep those as seamless as we can, but this is from no quarter tie. And he said, our biggest strength in my opinion is our defense more specifically our linebacker core, but even that needs more depth. Yeah. I, I think I agree with this point, you know, to talk about the uh, linebackers specifically. Um, I, I do feel like that is uh, a strength, but at the same time, there is some need for improvement. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the thing that everyone wants to talk about is, are we going to see a full season of Justin Flo? You know, hopefully he he's feeling healthy and and, and ready to go here. Um, you know, had a, had a spring ball, but we we've got a little snippet of you know how dominant that linebacker core could potentially be with with him alongside Noah Sewell in that Fresno State game, forcing fumbles, big hits left and right. That's definitely something that's super exciting. Um, and then you know just to talk about some of the other pieces that the Ducks have there. Uh, Jackson LaDuke is someone who kind of came back from injury during uh, the latter half of last season. Looked like pretty, you know, I think for a guy that was injured for as long as he was, he really did look pretty solid and, you know, well-adjusted to uh, the college game. I uh, believe he was a, a class of 2020 recruit, if I remember correctly. Um, so credit to the past F for kind of getting him, you know, ready to go. Uh, Keith Brown saw some pretty decent action a as a freshman as well. And then I think one of the more intriguing guys that we have to talk about is, is Jeffrey Vasa. But overall, to to look at the linebackers, I think that it's definitely a strength. But at the same time, I feel like that as a unit, the linebackers were kind of lacking in, in the coverage department. And um, with you know, with how much college football is you know becoming a passing game, you got running backs coming out of the backfield, you got crossing routes, you know, rub routes and and pick plays. And I think that that's definitely got to be, you know, an area that they need to strive to improve on. Um, and with some some faster linebackers, uh, you know, that's that's something that's coming in in this 22 class with with uh, Devin Jackson being a track guy um, and on the lighter side as well. So, you know, it's a little bit easier to move. And then Harrison Taggart as well. Um, maybe we see one of those guys get a little bit more involved. But um, with, with Bossa, I think that's kind of, one of my more, you know, wild card kind of players just because of how solid he looked in coverage last year, you know, seeing obviously some of that, you know, true original defensive back in him. Um, but that actually, well, I'm sure we'll be talking about Bossa later um, when we talk about one of the other groups. Well, what do you think about the backers doing? Yeah, I think he definitely saw spurts of potential. And again, I think there was no, team there's no group on the roster last season that was probably more hampered by injuries than the linebackers sure. um and now of course you get a couple guys graduating with drew mathis and nate hukalani those are two um you know interior linebackers that that won't be suiting back up so i i, I kind of go back and forth because the inside linebackers you have sewell you have justin flo keith brown um you know jackson leduke 
And you could probably, I think Devin Jackson and Harrison Taggart would likely play both on the inside. Um, I think Harrison Taggart is a little bigger, a little stronger. I'd probably say he might be a guy that could go on the outside as well. Um, I think the outside linebackers, though, is one one of the bigger question marks because Mace Funa got banged up often last year. Um, not really enough to miss games, but he definitely took some blows um, last season and you know kind of missed some game time a little bit during the games. But um, it seemed like every week we were asking Chris DePaul if, if Funa was going to be okay. Um, you know, and there's just, there's kind of a lot of uncertainty in the outside linebackers. You know, Adrian Jackson's another guy who is probably one of the sure names. And then you kind of get into like Trevin Mai, who was, you know, definitely had his moments last year. Brandon Buckner, I think, could be one of the top guys off the bench. Um, I, I feel like Anthony Jones is kind of a dark horse because I really like his athleticism. Probably guy that needs to bulk up a little bit more. Um, I like his size, but um, you know, I think he's two in the two forty range, two forty five range. Um, super explosive guy. I just feel like he's one of the more raw talents as an outside linebacker. But I mean, trying to replace a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, um, it, it's going to be really tough. So I feel like having guys that can rush off the edge with consistency is going to be really, really key. So that outside linebackers group is one of those that I'd say is probably not as much of a strength, at least right now. I think there's question marks, but I still think there's talent. Inside linebackers, I definitely feel better about because Noah Sewell, in my mind, is you know one of the three best returning linebackers in the country. Um, Justin Flo, his talent, not many linebackers have the talent that he has, but you know the health is now a, um, a concern. So if he can come back, and Keith Brown at the same time, if he can come back, the inside linebackers will be one of the best groups, I think, in 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 the Pac-12, if not the country. Inside linebackers, uh, an area, you know, a group that I feel pretty good about. To to talk about the outside linebackers, I, I think I feel comfortable or confident about that group because they return a lot of guys. You know, mm-hmm. everyone you just mentioned, you know, Mace Funa, Adrian Jackson. Adrian Jackson was a guy that, you know, was really working to to kind of break through last year. You know, we saw him, you know, really, you know, used a lot in those third down roles. And, and Cristobal was saying, you know, we're trying to get him to break through to, to be an every down kind of guy. And I, I don't think we really got to that point last year with, with Adrian Jackson. And then on the other side, you got to look at uh, Trevin Maia on the edge and, and Braden Swinson on the edge uh, as some guys to talk about. So I think we've hit a, a lot on the, the linebackers. Um, so maybe we could transition a little bit into a weakness. This is kind of a little bit organically, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd, I'd probably say that edge rusher has to be a weakness right now, not mm-hmm. only because you're and you're finding yourself needing to replace a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, but just from the the outlook on the roster, no one really rushed the passer at a consistent clip last year. That's not to put a slight to any of the guys on the roster, but we just didn't see that production from really anybody other than Kayvon Thibodeau on a consistent basis. And even Kayvon Thibodeau wasn't super consistent at times. And he's, you know, viewed as a, a top draft pick. Um, you know, Todd McShay is saying that he maybe doesn't have the fire. I think it was the competitive fire of a top five pick, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but yeah, edge rusher has to be a, a major weakness and, and question mark for, for this team. I think um, at least heading into spring, you know, maybe we see Anthony Jones. He was a guy that you had mentioned and, I'm really high on him, even though he is kind of a lower-rated recruit. I think he's kind of flying under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on, and, and Buckner as well. So let's talk about edge rusher. 
Yeah, I think in terms of consistency, I think Brandon Dorless was probably the next most consistent in terms of, you know, rushing the passer. Um, and again, he was a more versatile guy because he was moving on the inside and out. So now with Kayvon out of the picture, I'm wondering if they make him full-time edge because um, they have so much. We'll talk about this too. They have so many bodies on the interior now and guys returning as well that I, I almost think it would be safe to move doorless off the edge just because you have popo and keon and christian williams keanu williams all the recruits the transfer portal guys like the interior defensive line is loaded so i feel like because there's a need off the edge i think brandon doorless while he's a bigger guy maybe not as fast and explosive as most true edge rushers i feel like he got the production off the edge that you would be looking for i just think that you know Maybe you want to see some other guys as well that are more of a true edge rusher, which is why Braden Swenson was one of the guys that I've highlighted a couple of times. You know, when Kayvon was injured early in the season, we saw some flashes from Braden Swenson. Um, another guy that you mentioned, I like Buckner. I think he kind of flew under the radar and, um, you know, had some moments as well. But I'd like to see, I think he will get more time on the field as well. So the edge rushers is going to be interesting to see just in terms of lineup who they who they think fits best on that on the outside because Dorless, as we mentioned, can do it can do it all. Um, you know, Swinson is a guy I feel like could be kind of that outside linebacker hybrid, maybe drop back a little bit. Um, and some of those other outside linebackers, Fona was coming off the edge a little bit. Um, like I said, I think Anthony Jones could do that as well. So there's there's yeah, I think it's definitely um, a lot of question marks. But it's it's one of the biggest things that's going to be, you know, and it, maybe not an issue, but I think it's um, something to watch just because Kayvon Thibodeau is perhaps the best edge rusher to come out of Oregon in the last maybe even couple decades. I know Deion Jordan was up there as well. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's definitely up there for sure in terms of talent. Absolutely. Edge rusher's got to be an, an area of priority for the staff heading into spring practice here. Uh, with, with Doris, I think he's kind of interesting to, to look at on the outside because he is absolutely one of the more athletic and dominant defensive linemen that the Ducks have. But I'm kind of interested. I feel like it's it's a project in that sense just because of his body type right now. Uh, looking at Go Ducks right now in the 2021 roster, you know this could change a little bit and be a little bit dated at this point. But he's listed at 6'3", 284. So you got to think that's probably a, a, a significant amount heavier than, than you would want an edge rusher since Kayvon was playing around 6'5", 245, 250, I believe. Um, but like I said, he has the athleticism. If, you know, maybe Wilson Love get, you know, gets in the weight room with Wilson Love and he trims himself down a little bit, or maybe he just stays where he's at. But another guy we have to talk about when we're talking about the edge rusher and the outside linebackers are kind of like these big tweeners of, you know, linebackers and defensive linemen. DJ Johnson. I mean, he's the he's got to be one of the guys I'm the most excited about heading into spring ball. Just see if they are confident enough about their tight end depth right now to to move him to a defensive line. And, and I think another reason that I'm confident that you know maybe DJ Johnson or Swinson or some of these other guys we're talking about Buckner or Mai could you know take a step forward is is with the depth that they have uh, on the interior of the defensive line just because we're kind of talking about the front seven group right now, maybe we can kind of merge this a little bit, um, you know, as another strength that we we feel good about. I think that when Dan Lanning probably took this job, he realized that, you know, obviously KT is going to the league, so they, they needed to add a, an edge rusher. But um, 
you know, given how late it was in the recruiting process, it's, it's not like it's going to be super easy to get a huge big time recruit like that. Um, that's why I think it was so, you know, critical and, and beneficial that they were able to get Anthony Jones. And, and then you also have Lebius Overton who, who's reclassified from the 2023 class. He's a, um, a defensive lineman out of Georgia, out of uh, Milton high school, uh, Alpharetta, Georgia. So he has Oregon in his top schools. I don't know when a decision is expected there, but maybe, I mean, I, I feel like Oregon's probably not the perceived favorite there just because of some of the blue blood programs that were, you know, included in those top lit at top list, you know, Georgia and Ohio state. I know they're in there. Oklahoma is also a runner, I believe um, in that kind of in his recruitment. But I say all that to say that, you know, there are good options on the, on the roster right now. And, and you know, just seeing, how Dan Landing is, is such a smart defensive mind and some of the other guys that are on this staff. Um, I, I think that um, you, you would feel confident that they could probably get some production out of some of the pieces that they have just from a developmental standpoint and taking that next step. But then also you got to think if the interior defensive line is an area that we're confident in that we view as a strength, I would think the more dominant they are in the inside, it, it kind of just opens things up a little bit more for those guys on the outside. If, if you have a guy like, a Sir Mellis, for example, or a Sam Taimani, Jordan Riley, that's commanding four hands, which is what Tony Tuioti was saying a lot, you know, mm-hmm. commanding a double team when he was talking about his group. I think that frees him up quite a bit on the outside. Yeah, I think there's a couple guys that are worthy of of being double teamed and getting those looks because I know Dorless now with KT being off the, you know, off the front there, I think Dorless is probably the top candidate. Popo definitely could be a guy that you could double team just because of the year that he had. Um, not necessarily stuffing the stats, which most defensive tackles, nose tackles won't, you know, put up crazy Aaron Donald numbers, but um, at the college level anyway. But I think that, you know, the year that he had and the disruption that he can create, I think he's a guy that can do it. Taki Taimani, he had a lot of double teams when he faced Oregon last year in Seattle. Um, when I was watching film on him from that game, he was doubled a lot. They kind of erased him along the interior. When he was one-on-one, he really did damage, but um, I think when you double team a guy of that size, um, you know, it kind of opens things up for the offense. So I think the good thing that Oregon has now, which they didn't so much have, is kind of proven experience on the interior. Because last year, that was, we, you know, at a time like this, we were talking about them as a question mark with, okay, Jordan Scott's gone, Austin Folly is gone. We have these guys who have played a little bit, Popo had played a little bit, Keon had played, but didn't really know what you were going to get out of them as starters. And now that you know, and you bring in a couple other guys, um, you know, like Taimani, especially who's been a starter at the, in, even in the PAC 12, um, you know, I think you just kind of have that insurance. You have that security now knowing what you could possibly get. And of course there's going to be new pieces. Chemistry might be new. The rotation is going to be really interesting to watch just because there's so many people, Jackson powers, Johnson, even um, probably a guy that will play in the middle. So I don't know. There's so many bodies now. It's just, it's interesting to see where, where they kind of prioritize. Cause I, it's safe to say Popo is going to be a starter. Um, Doorless, like we said, will probably be in the middle, but you could see him coming off the edge too. Uh, Keon is a guy that I think has a lot of promise. And then once you go from there, it's just kind of like, who do they like? Because there's so many guys. Taimani, I think could fight for um, a starting job, but I feel like with the guys that have been there for a bunch of years, you could see them getting the starting job, but powers isn't. Yeah. Powers is an interesting one for sure. Yeah. With, with um, 
with Keanu Hudson, he was a guy that I thought was really taking, you know, strides and, and I thought he was getting more consistent with his level of play last year, but I believe he got banged up just before the Washington game. Yeah. I can't remember who that was off the top of my head, but um, I remember he didn't play in the Washington game and I, I think he was sidelined the rest of the season actually um, after missing that game. So getting him back is good. I didn't really expect to get Popo back to be quite honest um, mm. just because, you know, he's one of the, you know, the super senior guys and, and I thought he was pretty solid. Um, but yeah, when you, when you look at kind of the depth that they have on the offensive line and then even more, I mean, I don't know, you could argue that they're, maybe that's a, a question, are, wh- which line are they deeper on? I mean, I think the production is probably there more on the offensive side and cause they've played as a, a unit, you know, for, for maybe a little bit longer, but that could be a legitimate question to, to ask, but yeah, Jackson powers Johnson. And, and I'm, I'd be curious to kind of see what went into that decision um, especially since they've added so many big bodies uh, along the defensive line. But I know that he's a guy we were watching the National Signing Day uh, event, and he was saying, you know, I, I just want to get on the field and I just want to help this team however I can. I like being violent and, you know, just doing my thing. So I think, yeah, to, to Jay Will's point here, don't forget, you can't forget about Jackson Powers Johnson when you're when you're looking at the defensive line. And, and um, I know that, size is definitely something that Dan Lanning's prioritized. And you look at, you know, the defense that he had over at Georgia and just how important it is to win the battle at the line of scrimmage. If you can't necessarily go out and get, you know, a, a five-star edge rusher or a super high level production guy, I think winning the interior is, is definitely a good way to set yourself up for success and, and then start to kind of, um, you know, you win at the point of the attack and you kind of just work your way back. And um, we know how, how helpful that is with, um, you know, opening up, holes for the linebackers if, if guys are commanding double teams and um it's really just i think that yeah it starts there getting getting a good point at, getting a good press at the line of attack and then hopefully getting some pressure on the quarterback because we know how much easier that makes the uh the job for uh, those guys in the back end well yeah jpj kind of looked like he belonged out there when he was playing in the alamo bowl along the defensive line because they hyped him up that he was going to be out there on the defense um, I didn't think he'd be starting. I thought that was pretty impressive that he earned that nod. Um, and he looked like he belonged. He was creating some pressure, you know, had a couple, um, you know, I think he got his hands really close to a ball. He was, you know, kind of getting pressure, moving guys toward the quarterback and then getting his hands up. Um, but I think at his size and he's played it before in high school, um, you know, I, I feel like with his skill set and, you know, the film that he was able, I know we talked about him a little bit in one of the last videos, um, and showed some highlights of his of his defensive work. Um, yeah, he could be a guy that could be absolutely disruptive. But you know, I, I feel like with his experience as an offensive lineman, and it's been a couple years at this point, I wonder if that plays a factor into it. Where he played like consistently and trained as a defensive lineman, um, I feel like that might be kind of a factor as well. Because I don't know if he's been practicing on the defense all season. Um, you know, maybe it was just those last couple of weeks in between the Oregon's or the Pac-12 championship game and the Alamo Bowl, um, just because of the guys that were missing up front. Um, yeah, maybe with a full offseason, full spring and full camp, maybe he comes in and he's stronger and they they like him as a defensive lineman. Maybe he fully converts. I feel like no matter where you put him, um, you know, it's a safe bet that he's gonna go out there and hit people and you know, put some dents in some dudes, uh, you know, as he likes to say. All right, Jackson Powers Johnson, one of the biggest wild cards and and most versatile players uh, for the Ducks to keep an eye on as we uh, you know hope that spring ball gets here uh, you know a little bit sooner. Every day we're getting a little bit closer. 
We're going to be moving on to uh, another weakness that we want to talk about here on the Oregon Ducks as we kind of get ready for spring ball. We're going to talk about that right after the ad break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, we're back. And uh, I wanted to, the next weakness that I want to talk about is um, honestly kind of the secondary as a whole. You know, I don't want to call out the whole group here, but man, the Ducks are losing that, losing a lot of pieces in that secondary. You look at consensus All-American safety, Verone McKinley declaring for the NFL draft. He was tied for the nation's lead in interceptions. Uh, you also have to look at Mikel Wright, who was the, the most experienced cornerback on the Ducks squad. Um, I feel like he probably could have benefited from another season, but, you know, gotta, gotta, you know, respect his decision. Um, DJ James heads to Auburn. And um, now you kind of find yourself looking at, at a, a secondary that, that has some talented guys that are still here, um, but haven't played a whole lot of football. And, you know, Bennett Williams is really, I think the face of that secondary and, and the, the only one who's really produced at, at a pretty respectable level. At a pretty consistent level too, I would say, because, uh, one guy I really wanted to see pop off last year was Jamal Hill after just an awesome finish. He had the 2020 um, didn't really hear his name called a ton last year, obviously had the, you know, wasn't able to play until the Ohio state game. And then, um, you know, he, he started a little bit, but it just didn't really feel like he made the same impact. Didn't really make those game changing plays that you saw in 2020. So I hope that he gets to have a, a you know, um, another chance at a breakout year. Jeffrey Bossa, we talked about it a little bit because I, I think I heard, you know, a, a couple of times from the old staff that Bossa was going to be moving back to safety. But now that there's a new staff in here, where do they put him? Because you have, you know, 11, 12 weeks of film as of him as a, as a linebacker and, you know, an effective one at that. So um, I wonder if they try to keep him there and safety is another spot where I think that he could carve a role for himself just because now, with Happel graduating as well, going to the NFL, uh, Verone McKinley, like you said, I think he's a guy that could definitely get some playing time 
I think he might have get some get some playing time if the linebackers stayed healthy. I think he probably could have get a little bit there and here and there. Um, but I, I like him as a guy to, you know, um, stick at the safety spot. But at the same time, if, if the linebackers um, issue kind of continues, you know, he can produce there. Speaking to cornerbacks, though, um, that was one of the areas where I've I felt that this was going to be a, a problem and probably the number one area of concern for the offseason for the new staff to kind of rebuild that just because I like Dante Manning and TriQuest Bridges, but you're talking about those were the only guys who had really any consistent playing time and starting experience. And Manning was really new and Bridges was new to the position. So uh, guys that are really pretty new to playing at Oregon as a cornerback, um, you know, it doesn't give you a ton of confidence, I guess, in the depth, you know, outside of those guys, but there is talent. So it, it's, it's tough because there's so many, you know, it, it's kind of a scary battle with young corners, young inexperienced corners, because you kind of throw them out there and they're going to get targeted. Most coaches will know that those guys haven't really played, haven't really seen the field. Um, and you're talking about a new defense, new defensive backs coach, new scheme. Um, those Some of those guys that have been around for two years, now they're on their third defensive coordinator. So um, I feel like those guys are going to get targeted quite a bit. And I, you know, Manning and Bridges to me haven't really shown their full potential yet. Um, I think Manning is is due for a breakout year. But the one thing that gave me a little bit of confidence was adding Christian Gonzalez. As soon as he hit the portal, I I knew Oregon was probably going to take a chance on him. And he's he's one of the best corners in the Pac-12, I think, from what I've seen from his film. I've been really high on him since he was at Colorado. Um, he's a very talented guy, very sticky guy. And I think he could be a day one starter with with his ability and skill. But safety, I feel a bit better about just because you have a lot more experience. Um, I don't really think that's a stretch to say. Bennett Williams, Steve Stevens, Jamal Hill, Damon David got some playing time too. So if I had to, you know, if I had to put my confidence in one, I'd definitely put all of them in the safeties group. But there's exciting talent at corner. It's just, you know, cornerback is kind of a kind of a scary, uh, you know, position group to have a lot of inexperience and a lot of youth in. Yeah, I, th- I think with Jamal Hill, he's he's definitely someone that I think I have some some pretty high expectations for because we we saw him flash his potential in that Pac-12 championship game against USC. So obviously, people are going to want to you know look back to that. I, I think he kind of had some lapses in coverage last year that that had some pretty uh, you know costly plays for the opponent. So you know hope hope we can sharpen up on on coverage. But I think that is definitely a great point that you make there, Dylan, with with having more experience at safety than cornerback. I think that makes you a little bit more confident about that group on the back end. Um, I, I think Christian Gonzalez is, is definitely looking like uh, probably a go to guy at corner. Um, I think with you know, another thing to think about here, um, which really just makes this so interesting for me is just since they have so much versatility at a variety of positions on both sides of the ball, who's to say that the staff maybe doesn't move TriQuest Bridges back to safety? I mean, just yeah. because maybe he's more comfortable there. Um, and then maybe they looked at, you know, 2021, they're like, hey, you know, I mean, he, he had that good play that sealed the deal against Fresno State, which I know is a lot closer than a lot of people thought was going to be. But maybe it makes sense to to take him back to uh, to move him back to um, safety where he was just an absolute force at at Lynette in the high school level where I believe he either tied or set the state record for interceptions. So maybe he's a little bit more comfortable back there. Um, another person to to 
you know, think about here as they look at the next year's roster is Brian Addison, who played quarterback, uh, and he got his first interception. Uh, I believe it was in the Colorado game, I want to say. Um, but he got his first interception, so you see a little bit of a flash there. But you got to think he came out of high school out of Jay Sarah as one of the top athletes in the 2018 class. So every, anytime you see athlete, you just immediately have to think versatility. And the Ducks do have a need for depth at wide receiver, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. Maybe they move him back to receiver, which, mind you, is where he started his career at Oregon. Um, and he got some some time pretty early on. I know he was uh, in during the, the Auburn game. But um, as far as the defensive backfield, I, I, yeah, I like that Steve Stevens and, and Jamal Hill both have some experience back there. Definitely really tough to, you know, ask guys to start as freshmen, um, you know, in the defensive backfield. Um, Nick here is talking uh, about the defensive backs and the Jaleel dudes are our answer at the defensive backs position. They're going to be good. Um, I, those are two of the freshmen that I'm super, super high on. Um, you know, seeing that they have speed, I think that's obviously one of the biggest traits that transfers um, over to or transitions to the next level. Um, and I feel like if you flip on those guys, uh, the tape for those guys are just making play after play. Um, so I definitely feel like at least one, potentially both of those guys are, are going to be pretty heavily involved as freshmen in the, the secondary. Um, and, and I think that um, you also have to think about Oh man, I can't remember what I was going to talk about. Oh, I was going to talk about uh, Kamari Terrell, who is listed as a corner, but I think he could maybe find himself in, in the uh, at the safety spot just because he he's really long and rangy. I think that's a really good characteristic that Demetrius Martin likes about this secondary, and it could be said that this is the longest and fastest secondary that Oregon's had in quite some time. Um, I know that um, the other point that I wanted to make about the corner spot. And this would maybe uh, kind of support my uh, idea, maybe not argument for Triquez moving back to uh, safety is I feel like, um, you know, Dante is a more explosive athlete. So you see him, I think, uh, you know, maybe having a little bit more uh, of a natural home at corner with, you know, the fluidity and, and the, the speed that he has um, that you maybe don't get with, with bridges quite as much. Um, but yeah, the, the defensive backfield has got to be, you know, one of the most, intriguing areas to watch um just because they have this mixture of of veterans and you know young guys but um even with Mikel Wright you know perfect example looking at someone who was able to impact the game early didn't necessarily start but he was definitely a, a face that you saw quite a bit uh in this freshman season in 2019 so maybe we see that's the case again here with one or both of the Jaleels yeah I was gonna I was gonna get to the Jaleels I was just <laughs> trying to let Max talk so we it wasn't just me talking, mentioning every guy in the, in the secondary. But I think that's one thing I wrote in that story um, about guys that can make an immediate impact because Jaleel Florence got to do some punt returning when he was at, at Lincoln. Um, a super fast dude. Somehow Jaleel Tucker is a good bit faster. Not to say that Florence isn't fast, but Tucker is just crazy fast. And it, and it really pops up on the screen. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the same realm where I was, where – you can kind of get him started like McHill, right? You know, McHill, right? In my mind, I first remember really seeing him make an impact that USC game in 2019 um, when he had those those kickoff returns. Um, I, I feel like you can get Tucker and Florence in there, both of them on returns, not just as returners, but even as gunners, um, you know, defending special teams as well. I think those are guys that, you know, are really sure tacklers or physical tacklers, even though, 
you know, they kind of look on the lighter side. I definitely think that they're physical and, and play aggressive. So those are guys, and there's a ton of Oregon defensive backs in the last few years that have really kind of made their name through special teams. Like Javon Holland was a guy that did a lot of work in special teams early, Brady Breeze, especially. Um, even when he was still starting as a safety, he was still making huge plays on special teams. Um, you know, the Rose Bowl being one of them. So um, I definitely think that Florence and Tucker, no matter where you put them, um, you're going to see some flashes because those guys have as much talent as anybody in the defensive backfield now. Um, it's just a matter of what the priority is for, you know, for Lanning and, and LePoy and, you know, Coach Meat. Just do they want to get those experienced guys out? Because there's not much experience to, you know, put in front of Florence and, and Tucker, but you know, their speed is unmatched. If you want to have a super fast cornerback room a starting quarterback unit, I, I would agree putting bridges back at safety might be the best option for that. Cause with Manning and Florence and Tucker, and maybe even like Avante Dickerson is kind of your, your base four, um, or even Jalen Davies. Those are four really five really fast guys. I think too, uh, what I want to talk about now, um, cause you mentioned, you know, the, the return added return value that you could potentially get from, from the, the Jaleels with the speed that they have. Let's talk about special teams. Um, cause I feel like that was kind of a mixed bag for Oregon last season in, in 2021. I, I think that Camden Lewis was, was one of the best stories of the season. Just when you looked at, you know, how he lost his job to Henry Cattleman in, in, in the 2020 season. Um, and that obviously wasn't ideal for him. And, and I think that that was one of the things that stuck out the most to me, Dylan, when I was when we were actually able to talk to the specialist was, which was like rarely ever. Um, it, it was just so cool to, to get that insight into Lewis's approach and his mentality. And he talked about how it was a lonely job, right? Being a kicker, you know, you're spending a lot of the practice on your own, you know, chasing the ball down and, and um, you know, all the lights and attention and pressures on you in some situations. And it's, it's something that an aspect of the game that I think people maybe don't talk about enough or take into consideration, but, I thought he was pretty solid um, as far as the field goal kicking goes. I think maybe left a little bit to be desired in, in the kickoff game, just because, you know, ideal perfect world, you, you're booting every one of those out into the end zone and, uh, you know, not setting the team up for a, a solid return by having a, you know, shorter kick. Um, but overall, I feel very good in that department. Tom Snee, absolutely amazing human being, super fun to talk to at the pressers. I think he was the only player all year, uh, that said, I think he said, how's it going gents when we kind of walked <laughs> over to him as a, as a group of reporters. Um, so super classy guy, just love hearing his story. And and he was just booming the, the ball all year on, on the punt team and really was a huge asset for this team, especially when you're looking at how underwhelming the offense got at some times and, and quite frankly, unreliable um, at times, you know, you couldn't really rely on the offense to, to move the ball when it mattered most sometimes, and that obviously cost them. But you could always have Tom Snee out there to, to kind of bail you out if, if you're looking at that, um, you know, as, as a positive. But I feel like the return game in both the kick and the uh, and the punt return game definitely left a little bit to be desired. So maybe you could talk a, bit, a little bit about that. Cruel City with a comment here. Our punter was the MVP. Uh, Tom Snee is just, you know, he, he did really well last year. So got to give him some props. Isn't it crazy that we're talking about an Oregon team that excelled in field goal kicking, but struggled with punt and kickoff returns? Isn't that completely backwards from 
what the norm is of the last 10 plus years. Cause kicking has always been, I shouldn't say always Aiden Schneider had some good years, but for a long time, it's been a, um, you know, a liability of sorts. Um, you know, I, you don't really see Oregon teams. You didn't for a long time, just kicking field goals whenever it was fourth down, like, you know, Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich, they would go for it a lot of times. Um, and so I feel like Camden Lewis kind of gave you that reliable kicker that they just haven't had for, for a long time. And I know at the, at the end of the year, it kind of, um, you know, he started missing a couple. Um, I think the Utah, the first Utah game in Salt Lake City was the first time he missed a kick, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I just felt like the punt returns, kick returns, you didn't really see that, um, you know, game-changing return, you know, they, they get into opponent territory. Like, I just don't really remember any really explosive returns like that because Mikhail Wright had plenty of those in 19 and 20. Um, and I just, I don't remember really seeing any of that really flipped the script in terms of getting the offense really good field position um, and just setting, setting the offense up for success. And of course they didn't, you know, turn the ball over make those kind of crucial mistakes. It just felt like, like we've talked about, it just felt like there was um, a lot to be desired, um, especially with the talent and speed that those guys had. It just didn't seem like the blocking was where it should be. And I just thought that there was, uh, you know, there's potential left on the field. And I think with some of the guys that they have now, we talked about Florence and Tucker, um, you know, Seven McGee, Chris Hudson. Um, there's definitely some some reason to be excited. Um, you know, maybe we can get sort of a return to, you know, the Kenyon Barner days, the DeAnthony Thomas days. Maybe that's kind of a, um, a stretch just because those guys were otherworldly fast. But, um, you know, Seven McGee is a guy that kind of gives me those vibes. And I like the speed that, um, you know, Hudson and Florence and Tucker have. And, um, not sure who else they might play around with, but I feel like Seven McGee is a guy that could that could be a game changer back there. Just to touch on Andrew's question and comment, I guess, yeah, out here on the screen. He said, oof, yeah, the punt slash kick coverage was by far the weak link. That end of the half touchdown at oof. Utah game one took years off my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so yeah, with the special teams is such an underrated part of the game, and and I feel like we don't really give it the attention that it deserves, especially when Oregon was playing in as many close games that they shouldn't have found themselves in last year, to be quite frank. I mean, to be honest, could we, we could probably attribute you know that touchdown against Utah almost as much to poor clock management as we could to mm -hmm. just bad on the field coverage. Um, but the, the Ducks get a fresh start here as they do with much of this staff, you know, not a whole lot of continuity from uh, the former staff under Crystal Ball. They bring in Joe Lorig, um, who I believe uh, spent time at Penn State, um, if that's correct. Um, mm -hmm. And he's also going to be working with Nichols. So that's uh, kind of, you know, cool to, to get some a new face in there. But yeah, with with the um, with the return unit, it's it's. I think that they put the right guys back there, but it just if we learned anything from last year's special team unit, it's just that um, that it takes so much more than just putting the right guy back there, because you know you had the the, the you know you used to have the Anthony Thomases who could let the ball bounce fifteen times and then grab it and then just bolt. I mean that that kickoff against. Uh, or maybe it's a punt return, actually, I think, against Colorado. Uh, mm -hmm. I think when they were in the All Blacks, uh, when he let it bounce a couple times, that was just phenomenal. That's like one of the best plays of, in Oregon history for me. Um, but, yeah, I think they, they definitely have some guys that can contribute uh, in the return game. Um, I think Seven McGee's obviously one to look at. Um, 
And then Chris Hudson's really good in, in that regard as well. He was a playmaker. We could talk about the receivers here in just a minute um, before we get out of here. Um, but yeah, there, there's no shortage of guys that they can can put back there, Dylan. And, and I think one or both of the Jaleels could could be a, a good idea um, to do that. Seven McGee got some time as a punt returner after Micah Pittman's departure, uh, you know, midway through the season. And um, they, they got some dudes for sure. So it's it's time to to have not only some guys who can make, you know, plays, but you need to have that full cohesive unit. You know, you, the guys are on the same page and they're throwing the right blocks and, and making those lanes for the returners. Yeah. And I think speaking to the, the previous comment about, um, you know, Britton Covey's return, I definitely felt that there was um, kind of a, a liability with kick return coverage as well. Um, that was definitely the, the, the peak of the iceberg there, but um it just, yeah, it just felt like they weren't really giving the defense really good field position, if that makes sense. Like they didn't kind of pin back the opposing offense. Um, you know, you don't really see that a whole lot. Um, you know, the kickoffs was definitely, definitely an issue toward the end of the year. I know Cristobal was probably pulling his hair out a little bit towards the end of the year with, with that. Um, but I think that there's a lot of bodies out there that I want to see kind of get their start, especially some of the young guys. Like I think, um, like I said, Florence and Tucker could be guys that would, would really be able to ball out in special teams. Um, some of those linebackers too, like Devin Jackson, I think would be a freak in special teams. Um, some of those, you know, linebackers that you got to see a little bit on special teams last year, like uh, Jabril McNeil, Terrell Tillman, those guys got a lot of playing time in special teams. Um, you know, they have a lot of speed all over defense. Um, you know, some of the guys on offense, the receivers too can make plays. Brian Addison could be a guy you could see out there as a, as a gunner. So um, yeah, I think that was definitely a spot that would be, um, you know, a weakness, but I think Joe Lorig is one of the best special teams coordinators that was available, um, you know, to replace, um, you know, to, to be the new guy. Cause I think that just, it definitely needed an upgrade and, you know, he did a great job everywhere. He went Penn state um, Memphis was another spot where he was phenomenal. Um, they had, I think Memphis had one of the best, if not the best special teams units in the country in terms of kicking and returning and, and return coverage. So he gives me a lot of confidence in, you know, the future of special teams going forward. Yeah. Got a, got a couple more points we want to hit on here. Dylan might go a little over an hour, but we're going to try to keep it around there. I know you're a busy guy and I value your time. So, um, but just to, to kind of put some stats that, that might help, uh, paint the special teams picture a little bit more. I have some stuff pulled up here from last year. Um, Oregon's kickoff return average um, when they were returning the ball was 22.4 yards. Their opponents averaged 25.9 yards per return. Um, Oregon averaged 10 yards per punt return. Opponents averaged 11. Um, and then total kick return yards. Uh, Oregon had 36 total kickoff returns in 2021 for 808 yards. And uh, opponents had 35 kickoff returns for 906 total yards, so a, a fairly significant, um, a fairly significant, uh, you know, change there. Um, or sorry, difference in, in numbers. I had to block a user who put a spam link in the chat. Um, took my attention away, but yeah, I think those are some some good numbers that that kind of maybe put into perspective kind of where um, where Oregon was at and and kind of how they were behind the opponent. Yeah, but I, I like that, you know, the field goal kicking is is a strength still. I like that Cam Newton is coming back. Um, 
So that's that's really enticing. But seven McGee, I want to see seven McGee as kick returner, punt returner, doesn't matter. I feel like the guy's as explosive as anybody on the roster, and he's probably going to be the closest thing they've had to, you know, like a um, like a Taj Griffin, even the guy that they really didn't utilize like I hoped they would. Yeah, and then another person that we don't have to talk too much here, but just worth noting is the Ducks picked up Andrew Boyle from Washington State. Yeah. Um, I think he's listed as a kicker, but I think the word on the street is that he did a lot of punting while he was in Pullman. Um, so still, just because we're talking about special teams, I think it's a, a guy worth mentioning. And, and I think you had re- researched him a little bit um, mm-hmm. when he first made that announcement. Yeah, dude was posting videos on Twitter, him kicking 72-yard bombs. I Obviously, practice, not a game environment. You can't really say like, oh, he's going to go out there and kick, you know, field goals from, you know, his own 40-yard line. I don't think that's something they'll ever do. But, um, you know, to have that leg power is, is awesome. But he did a lot of kickoffs at Washington State because I think he was listed as a punter and a kicker. But I don't think he ever attempted a field goal or um, I think he might have had a couple punts. But I think most of it was was kickoffs. All right, a couple more positions we wanna we wanna hit on here. It was an earlier comment, but I want to circle back to it. This one also from no, no quarter tie. Currently, in my opinion, our our biggest weakness is our running back core slash depth. I loved to see how much Carwell worked and flashed, but if he goes down, that can mean major problems. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely kind of been the discussion. I feel like, and kind of the consensus. I feel like right now with the Oregon fan base is that Carwell is probably best positioned to be the lead back. I think I'd still probably envision that we see some kind of running back by committee. Maybe it's because he's on the younger side, and and we don't really know what he looks like with that consistent of a large workload. But Dylan, I feel like this is the most open the running back position has ever been. Uh, at Oregon, especially when you look at losing C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye. But not only that, when they were here, it was C.J. and Travis, C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye every week. Like we hardly saw anybody, um, you know, get those running back three carries. And then they bring in Jordan James as another guy who can maybe contribute. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a reason to be excited when you look at, um, you know, this being not a position that they, I think, are worried about necessarily, but it's it's certainly a little bit more unsure and, and definitely not as clear as it's been in recent seasons at, at this point in the offseason. Well, yeah, because Cardwell got – he earned the RB3 job. Um, you know, it, it was definitely a, a waiting game to see who they were going to like because Benson kind of had those injuries, I think. Sean Dollars was injured the whole year. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that now – Cardwell, it's safely his. I that's why I kind of wanted to see an experienced running back come through through the portal. Um, I like that they were able to add Jordan James just to have another body. Um, but I think an experienced running back would have been um, kind of a, a safe bet. Almost, I think Bruce. Are, I thought Bruce Arthur was a lock to go to Eugene. To be honest with you, um, Michigan State doesn't really surprise me, but it felt like that kind of came out of left field just because everything I heard it sounded like Oregon was was going to be the team there, but. Behind Cardwell, the next most carries was Sean Dollars. I think he's got 15, um, 15 career carries. Um, you know, he flashed in the Pac-12 championship. I thought he was going to be, you know, a game changer going into this past season. But uh, he's got a ton of talent. I've wanted to see Sean Dollars since Oregon recruited him. Um, I think he could be a guy that's a clear number two. I think it could be a Cardwell-Dollars sort of thing in years to come with Diane Verdell like it was for the last three, four years. 
But Jordan James is a really intriguing one too, because as that comment mentioned, if something were to happen to Cardwell or Dollars, um, if if Dollars isn't ready to go, you're kind of probably looking at Jordan James maybe even being running back too. And another guy that I think you shouldn't sleep on is is Aaron Smith, who had a really good camp, uh, spring and fall camp, and the coaching staff, Jim Master, they talk super highly of him. I feel like he could be a guy that. You know, he's a walk-on, but I feel like he could be a guy that earns a scholarship and maybe see some playing time because I really liked what I heard about him last year. Aaron Smith is from, I might add, San Jose, <laughs> my hometown. Uh, played for one of the, the rival schools in uh, my league, Archbishop Mitty. Uh, people might know Mitty for, um, you know, Aaron Gordon. He's a notable alumni that, that came out of there uh, recently. But yeah, Aaron Smith is a guy that uh, Jim Mastro raved about. Um, Cross Patton is a, a, a former walk-on that you know, or that transferred to Nevada. So the the running back room does lose uh, a guy there. Um, Sean Dollars is definitely someone I'm, I'm excited about. Uh, this question, this comment, excuse me, from Cruel City. Sean Dollars is that guy. Literally, shame his name ain't spiked uh, spiked on. That's wild. Um, yeah, I, I, he's someone that I, I feel like I've been wanting to see for the longest time. I, I mean, I talked, I've talked multiple times on this channel about how I went out to to Arizona to cover the Ducks in the Fiesta Bowl, and I was like, all right, here we go. This is this is the time for Sean Dollars because um, we didn't see it in the Pac-12, or we did see it a bit in the Pac-12 championship game, and, and CJ was hurt, um, so it just kind of made sense. But we we didn't really see much of him. Uh, you know, his dad hops in the Twitter spaces every now and then, and I know he's fired up. Um, oh, spoken on. Okay. Cruel city, uh, <laughs> clarifying the comment. Appreciate that. Um, but yeah, the it's, I think it's just one of the most interesting positions to watch right now because there's been so much movement. Um, we kind of expected some departures, but we really thought it was going to come from the trans, sorry, the NFL draft, not the transfer portal. And mm-hmm. now Travis dies is going to be suiting up for USC. And so is Austin Jones. So two really talented Pac-12 backs. Um, staying in the Pac-12, but going to play for Lincoln Riley and, and his offense in Los Angeles. So definitely some some potential in that running back room, but definitely not a whole lot of proven production. Yeah, and I like Cardwell as, as a running back one. I think Dollars would be solid as a running back one, two. It's just the durability and um, that sort of thing. I want to see how he bounces back, how he looks, um, you know, because I hope he's bigger and stronger and faster because – Dude's got a ton of potential. I think it's as much potential as anybody in that running back room. But um, Cardwell, I was not really – I can't say I was expecting him to take off and be as explosive a guy as he was. Um, I think his vision is is really, really good. I like the cuts that that he makes for a guy that's that young. He just sees the field um, really, really well, Um, kind of instinctual as a running back, which you don't really talk about running backs as instinctual, but it just seems like he – you know, the game kind of slows down for him when he's running through defenders. Um, I, I think him and Jordan James would be, um, you know, I, I feel like they're kind of similar coming out of high school where I talked about Jordan James when we did our national signing day show. I compared him to <laughs> compared him to Alvin Kamara, which uh, hopefully uh, that sticks to football. I'm not going to get too much further into that. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I like the the fact that he kind of runs like a gazelle and, you know, he sees the field really well. So, and with the offensive line coming back, um, I feel like they're, they're set up for success, whoever they put back there. Sorry for the, that reference. <laughs> Just no, you're good. Up. 
I think people, if you follow the NFL, you know what's going on uh, over there. But uh, James is is a guy that is we're super excited to see him hit the field and, and see kind of what he can bring and, and what he can contribute as a freshman potentially. Um, I think one other group we have to talk about, Dylan, I feel like I, I, I don't want to say it's a weakness, but it's definitely more of a question mark for me at this point is the wide receivers. Um, the, the, I really like the, the guys that Oregon has coming back uh, with, with Chris Hudson being the most experienced guy um, as far as production. Isaiah Crocker is a, a veteran guy. Um, so he's, he kind of started to get his more significant role towards the end of the year after we saw some injuries and obviously Pittman went to FSU. So Crocker and Hudson are the most experienced guys there. Uh, Troy Franklin um, kind of broke into the starting lineup uh, like a quarter of the way through the season, um, but really, really didn't see him get too involved aside from some screen passes. But we knew how we all know how limited the quarterback uh, play was last year. And then Dante Thornton, he took his first college touch to the house for a touchdown, which is awesome. Just you know, showing you that speed that that he brings to the table. And then um, we don't know if Seven McGee's maybe going to find more of a permanent role at wide receiver or if he's going to kind of bounce back and forth, which I think makes the most sense bouncing back and forth um, between both and just kind of getting that guy involved however you possibly can. And it seems like Dillingham's definitely primed to do that. I'm really excited about his vision for the offense, you know, the 80 plays a game, the excitement, the speed and tempo. It really seems like he's trying to kind of restore Oregon's offensive glory, which we saw a little bit in the Alamo Bowl when, um, you know, AB really started to open it up a little bit. Um, you know, we saw Franklin and Thornton both score touchdowns. Thornton just burned his guy on his route um, because his speed is so top notch. And then Troy Franklin's, you know, over the shoulder, you know, falling into the corner of the end zone was just a thing of beauty to watch. So I don't want to say that the wide receivers are a weakness, but they're absolutely a question mark for me just because there isn't a whole lot of depth there after that first line. And, and I think that's uh, why a lot of people are, are hopeful that 2022 signee Justice Lowe might be able to make a name for himself early on and, and why we're honestly kind of shocked that the Ducks haven't added somebody from the portal. Yeah, that's exactly right. I thought they were going to add somebody more experienced, but I know a lot of people were talking about the loss of Devin Williams and that height, that 6'5", go-and-get-it kind of mentality. And I know people are like, that's hard to replace. I feel like the way you replace that is, is Dante Thornton. I mean, 6'5", too, um, a little bit on the lighter side. But I think if you bulk up in the offseason, which, you know, nine times out of ten, you have to expect a guy with this strength and conditioning staff it will probably put on some good weight. I think that Dante Thornton is one of those guys that's kind of the future of, of the running back, um, you know, room. I wide think receiver. that he – yeah, excuse me, the wide receiver room. We were just talking about running backs. Um, we have been all over the place. Yeah, long long day. Uh, Dante Thornton is one of those guys. You talked about his speed at his size. That's hard to that's hard to come by. And Troy Franklin is another guy who started to get some production toward the end. They started to trust him, I think, out there with the starters. But at the same time, you're going to have a new starting quarterback, new offensive system. Um, I know they want to be more explosive, and I think that Franklin, Thornton, Seven McGee. Chris Hudson, those are your prime guys to, to help you get that done. And you saw that in San Antonio in the Alamo Bowl. There's plenty of reason to have faith in the guys around that offense in the room to put together a really explosive offense. But now you're you're talking about new quarterback that you have to build that um, chemistry, especially if it's Bo Nix, if he's the starter, because he hasn't thrown to these guys before. Um but with, you know, Seven McGee is, the, I think, one of the biggest question marks on the entire roster, just because wherever you put him at running back or receiver, I think he's 
a guy that can take the ball to the house anytime he gets the ball. But I think at receiver, not having Jalen Red back, I think he's a guy that can take over for Jalen Red, kind of fill in that slot receiver role, guy that gets it out of the backfield, catches it out in the flats, um, and he can just burn everybody. He's super fast, super skilled. I, I have a lot of faith in him. He's another guy we talked about, we should have talked about in the running back room, if he's um, going to stay there, if they if they fully convert him to receiver. I think they should. Um, but if, if something happens at running back, um, you know, if somebody goes down, I think Seven McGee is, is a guy. Obviously, he has that experience at running back, so that would be an easy fit. Yeah, and, and I think also you got to think about uh, Isaiah Brevard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he was one of those three All-Americans out of high school that they signed in the 2021 class. Um, so you got to figure that he's going to be, you know, primed and ready to compete for a, a larger role. And then another group we didn't really get to talk on, like I kind of talked about at the beginning, I kind of tried to preface it. We're not going to get to everybody, which is a bummer. Um, but the tight ends, you, if you're a Oregon, you got to be feeling great, 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 great about that tight end depth. Um, you know, you got Spencer Webb, who's the most experienced guy in that room. Uh, actually, no, he's not. Cam McCormick's the most experienced guy. Yeah. He's back for another season, if you can believe that. Uh, definitely a guy that, my God, he just deserves to have a full season. Every every season we're talking about him getting banged up, unfortunately. Um, and that's just, you know, you hate to see that for any player. So really, you know, hope he can stay healthy this year. But you have him and Spencer Webb, and, and then you also have Terrence Ferguson, who's really capable of being flexed outside. He did that a lot at the high school level, but he has added a lot of weight to his frame. So um, you know, got to obviously see if, if that athleticism kind of st- stayed with him, uh, that flexibility and mobility with the, the weight that he added in Maliki Matavao. So definitely just so many options. I feel like that's the biggest, you know, theme, I think, of this roster, Dylan, is just the versatility and the options that you have, which I think for me, I think makes me feel better about maybe, I don't want to say the lack of additions, but we haven't seen some additions at certain spots um, that I think we might have expected. So um, I just wanted to make sure we talked about the tight end before before we uh, wrapped up and maybe we could hit, just address some of these comments kind of before we get out of here. Yeah, don't forget P. Her- P. Herbo either. Oh, Patrick yeah, Herbert Patrick Herbert. That's our, dude, that yeah. tight end room is loaded. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I just hope they get utilized because um, like 2019 with Jacob Breland, like that was super fun to watch. That's what I wanted to see with, with this Oregon tight end group with Ferguson and Spencer Webb. Um, you know, and Manavau and you can go on and on, like just having them be downfield threats and guys that can block at the same time and, you know, can help in the run game. It just, you know, guys that can do it all. And I know that they can, it just, you know, it just seemed like they weren't, um, and not to their fault. I just feel like they weren't being, um, prioritized in the offense as pass catchers, especially, um, you know, that they can block. That's, that was probably the primary reason they were on the field was because of their ability to block. You talk, you know, they talked about it a bit in spring and fall about, you know, I, I think Spencer Webb was one of them. I think Patrick Herbert was another one where they were talking about, like, I like blocking more than I like running routes now. Um, and, you know, Cristobal was very heavy on the physicality. And I think, um, you know, I, I think Dan Lanning's probably going to push the same thing. Dillingham, uh, Drew Maringer, the, the tight ends coach. So I'm really excited to see kind of the explosion come out of coming out of them because there's so much talent that we just really never saw. Um, I think those are guys that could put up maybe, you know, seven catches, a hundred yards, maybe a couple touchdowns um, any given day. Cause there's just so many, so many guys that can just do it all out there. Absolutely. Well, let's see. 
uh, some comments that we just wanted to get on the screen here, just so you know that you guys uh, were, we're looking at the comments and we want to try to address them as much as we can. Andrew says, I'm glad Miami is taking Crystal Ball's time management skills with him. That's addition by subtraction. Uh, I know that was definitely something that, um, you know, people were upset about. Uh, this was this was asked a couple times, but how do you all feel about DJ Johnson on the edge this year? I think that's definitely got to be one of the prime candidates to, to to try to, you know, take a next step as an edge rusher. And, and hopefully, I mean, here's maybe something that could be interesting. You know, obviously you want to force as dominant as KT was, but maybe we just get multiple guys that, that can give you a better pass rush, you know, maybe not to that level, but just more consistently from multiple guys. I think that'll really help the defense as a whole, take a big step because clearly it's not as effective as having multiple guys that can rush the passer because if, you know, you just get him schemed for and, and not saying it's easy to take KT out of a game by any means, but you just got to give that offensive coordinator more guys to worry about. I feel like every time I talk about the defensive line and those edge rushers, I always forget about DJ Johnson and I, I don't give him the respect that he deserves because he's a guy that had, I don't know, 8 million offers coming out of high school as playing a, a defensive end and, you know, has shown it at times that he can do it. And then he's shown that he can play tight end too. Um, and we didn't mention him in the tight end room as much either. So it's just one of those guys that you put him on the field and he's going to, you know, he's going to ball out. Just there's so many guys on those roster that we're just kind of saying that no matter what you do, if you get the ball in his hands, if he's around the ball, um, if he's on the field, like he's just a guy that's going to go out there and produce. But I want to see DJ Johnson on the edge more so than the tight end room, just because of just the overflowing talent and, hopefully healthy guys in the tight end room. And I think there's more of a need on the edge than, um, than in the tight end room. But I definitely agree with that comment about he's earned it because he started at defensive line and then went to tight end. And now he's kind of going back and forth. I think, you know, a switch to, to edge full time, I'd be completely on board with. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're uh, well over an hour now, so we got to get out of here. I got to have some dinner myself uh dylan where can the fine folks uh find you if they want to you know follow you support you and and you know see all the stuff you're putting out yeah so you can find me on twitter at drk sports news i'm working on stuff for the transfer portal and um ducks digest at the same time so um go check out the transfer portal as well at t portal cfb on twitter um we got a tiktok now i i haven't used it much so if you want to go check us out Hunt is down. I don't know what the exact uh, username is because I, I don't have TikTok, but we're out there somewhere. Go go check us out. All right. Awesome. Well, if you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at the name on your screen right there at mtaurus sports. If you're watching on YouTube, kindly ask that you subscribe to the channel Oregon football. Max Taurus only takes a second out of your day and it is a tremendous help. And then just one other favor we wanted to ask is that you go ahead and share the podcast. You know, we're trying to grow the show and, and get it out in front of more uh, Duck fans. Uh, so sharing the show is really the, you know, the best way to support us. And, and it's a, a huge help. And we also are trying to grow the community with our uh, forums, with the Ducks Digest forums, as you can see here, if you're watching on uh, YouTube, uh, trying to get more consistent about posting in there. But uh, it's a great way for, for you guys to, you know, ask questions and, and just create some great discussion and, and get more access and interaction with us over there at, at Ducks Digest. It's free to join. Um, so definitely go ahead and um, head on over there. But um, that'll do it for us uh, on this episode. You know, we're going to try to keep doing these more often. Uh, I, I was live every day last week, Monday through Friday. So that was super fun. 
want to interact with you guys more, see what's on your mind as Duck fans, because football is king here, and I feel like it never really stops. And we're, we got recruiting coverage as well that we're gonna, you know, try to ramp up. So that'll do it for us on this episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Thank you so much for listening or watching, however you're with us today. And, and thanks to Dylan for coming on. Hope everyone's having a good week, and we will catch you guys in the next episode. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.